Morning, church, again. I wonder if you're like me sometimes, and um, during the, uh, the singing and the time of worship, um, you kind of get on autopilot, and you're singing, but you're not really hearing or paying attention to what you're saying. You ever had that happen? I get distracted all the time. I, I remember there was a song up there uh, that we were singing, and I saw on the bottom it was by the Gaithers, and then I was like, man, I remember all the songs the Gaithers had. And then I, I kind of smiled because I remember when my mom got upset because the Gaithers went disco in the 70s. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then the song is over, and I've completely missed it, right? I mean, that man, that's, that song, uh, his mercy is more. Oh, I hope, I hope you connected to that and are still amazed at the mercy of God. Well, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know what comes next. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have been uh, doing the last uh, several weeks, uh, we've been reading uh, the first part of that sermon as we're going through the Beatitudes. And uh, you know, we typically go through several verses at a time. It just seemed wise to slow down and take these Beatitudes one at a time. They are uh, powerful statements. And, and we, we like to read through these uh, each week because, as Toby's been saying, these are, these are connected. These are not just random statements that Jesus is listing out for us to hear. Uh, they're connected. And so it's good for us to remember where we've been and where we're going. So we're going to read verses 2 to 12 once again this morning before we jump into our text. It's uh, page 809 in the Pew Bible if you need that. Beginning in verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your word and this uh, amazing teaching that Jesus has laid out for us. Oh God, that you, you would work in our hearts and minds this morning as we hear your word, that, that we will be encouraged, that we will be challenged, that we will be convicted, that we will be changed. We ask for your Spirit's help to do this, and we, we do this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. As we get started this morning, I want to begin with a bit of a reminder 
for us. A reminder of one of the great distinctions of the Christian faith as opposed to other religions. We, we don't like to lump Christianity into the list of religions because it's, it's so unique and it's so distinct from religion that it doesn't really fit on a list of religions. And if you look at the difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could summarize religion, I think a lot, most of religion in this way. Religion says if you do this, then God will do that. If you do this list of do's and don'ts or rituals or, or ceremonies or prayers, then the one you are worshiping, the God or deity or whatever that you are worshiping, right, is going to give you what you're seeking. You do your part, God's going to do his part. That's, that's religion. And, and it's very, it's very me-centered, right? It's all about me, right? I got to start it. I got to keep it going. I got to finish it. If you do this, God's going to do that. Well, the gospel of Jesus complete, completely flips that, right? The gospel of Jesus says this, if God has done this, then you will do that. If God has done a work of grace in your heart, if God has given you a new mind and a new heart, and you are born again, and you have his spirit in you, you will respond with good works, with obedience, with faithfulness. You see how that flips the whole works conversation from religion? Religion is works are going to save you. The gospel of Jesus said, no, works are simply evidence that you're already saved. And we see this many places in the New Testament. It's going to be relevant to our text this morning. I think the most clear place we see this is in 1 John, several places. I like uh, chapter 2, verses 29. If you know that Jesus, he, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see that? It doesn't say will be born of him. It shows that that's evidence that you have been born of him if you are practicing righteousness. And this is important for us to see uh, the New Testament with that lens, the lens of the gospel and not the lens of religion, because there's several verses, and let me give you one here, um, that, that are interesting to read with, with those two different perspectives. Luke 6.37 says this, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Right? The eyes of religion would look, that, look at that and say, hey, it's all about me, right? If I do my part, God's going to do his part. But if you look at what Jesus is saying there and what he says over and over and what we see over and over through the New Testament, what he's saying there is, no, not judging, not condemning, being forgiving is evidence that you're already one of my children. And we're going to see this again in our text this morning. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Well, I think what we're going to see that Jesus is clearly teaching here is this. Those who have received God's mercy will be merciful to others. 
And, and man, this is, this is a powerful statement, even as simple as it is. And so that's what we're going to look at mercy this morning, what it means to be merciful. And I think it's important as we get started here to define what mercy is. What type of mercy is Jesus talking about here in this beatitude? Because when we talk about mercy, we usually talk about mercy in the context of punishment, right? That we talk about grace is getting something that I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that I do deserve. And usually that's in the context of punishment, right? I did something wrong but somebody showed me mercy even though I deserved punishment. And that type of mercy is certainly connected to what Jesus is saying here. But the emphasis of this word merciful is a different kind of mercy. And I think we can best understand this word mercy with three words. Compassion, misery, and action. Mercy is, is, a, is a response of compassion. And it's a response of compassion to those who are miserable, those who are in distress, those who are, I think it's the key word here is those who are helpless, those who are suffering. This type of mercy is mercy to the miserable, to the helpless. It's, a, it's compassion for the helpless. But of course, it doesn't stop there. Compassion without action is simply pity. And Jesus is not talking about pity. He's not talking about that we should feel bad about the, the, the people around us that are in distress. Mercy is compassion that acts. And perhaps for, for our, our purposes this morning, we'll define it this way. Mercy is a loving action prompted by compassion for those miserable and helpless. And, and listen, the context of this is really important to understand. As we've seen over the last several Beatitudes, Jesus is not just teaching these things to his disciples, to his followers, He's actually also contrasting what he's teaching to the religious teaching and the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees and the religious leaders did not teach mercy. And they certainly did not model mercy. The, the, a Jewish historian said that mercy was seen as the least of the virtues. It was looked down on by the Pharisees. Because they stood in their self-righteousness and they looked at people who were in distress and people who were suffering and people who were, you know, uh, the, the least of these. And, and they said, well, obviously, God must be judging them. Obviously, they've done something wrong. I'm not in that situation. So who am I to show mercy to someone that God is obviously judging? And so Jesus is being, not, not just teaching here, but he's being very provocative to the religious leaders of the day and exposing them and say, hey, you want to know what my kingdom is like? You want to know what my followers are going to look like? You want to know what the, the people who are born of me and born of my father are going to look like? Well, this is, going to look, this is what they're going to look like. They're going to be merciful. And so he's, he's countering 
Now, the religion, the, this merciless religion of the Pharisees, but he's, they're also living under the Roman government, which may be the most merciless government at all. And I mean, you don't conquer the world with mercy, right? Man, they were all about power and aggression. And so you have this, this merciless uh, religion and this merciless government. And this is where Jesus is say, preaching about mercy. You know the irony of this? The combination of that merciless religion and the merciless government led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Enabled by the Pharisees, executed by the Roman government. You know, you see the irony in that, right? The greatest act of mercy in all human history came through the merciless religion and the merciless government. You know, maybe, maybe we should just trust God that he's got a plan that we can't understand sometimes. We probably wouldn't have done it that way. Mercy. So what we're going to look at this morning is three, three pretty basic things. I know you're not going to be overwhelmed with you know, clever um, ex exposition this morning. These are pretty... Um, Pretty things that I think you're going to well understand, but man, these, these have some weight. Jesus gives these things some weight that we should feel this morning. We're going to look at where does mercy come from, what does mercy look like, and what are the results of mercy. So where does mercy come from? When it says, blessed are the merciful, where does that mercy come from? All mercy originates with God himself. It originates in God's character and God's nature. If we could go back and study the Old Testament 25 different times, it speaks specifically of our merciful God. That's the name that he's given. Over 100 times, it specifically speaks to the mercy of God that has been poured out on us and on his people in, in, that, in that, that verse that we looked at before in Luke 6 about, about uh, not judging and not condemning and forgiving, the context of that verse is about mercy. And it's very, uh, I think, in, it, it fits really well here with this idea of where does mercy come from because it says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And here it is, be merciful as your Father is merciful. You see what he's saying there? As you show mercy, you show that you belong to your Father because your Father is merciful. Again, this isn't a, a list of moral imperatives that Jesus is saying, hey, if you do all these, you're going to be okay. No, these, these, are, these are signs of evidence that Jesus is giving in the Beatitudes. Mercy is evidence that you belong to your Father. And all mercy originates with him. Uh, secondly, 
mercy is initiated then, it originates with God and is, is initiated in us by the mercy of God to us. Remember our definition of mercy, right? Compassion to those miserable, those helpless. We should understand that better than anybody else, right? If you are a Christian, at some point, at some point, you had to come to grips with the, with the, the reality that you were helpless. At some point, you had to give up on yourself and say, there is no way that I can save myself. God's standard is perfection. I'm never gonna meet that. I can't even meet my own standard, much less his. You had to give up on yourself. You had to see your own helplessness. You had to see your own misery. You had to see your own desperation to the point that you called out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Man, we should understand mercy better than anybody. Man, Christians should just ooze mercy because we understand it. We understand what it means to receive mercy that is undeserved. This is where the other Beatitudes, uh, I think, help us out here. Again, I think these are in order for a reason. Right? If, we, if we remember that we are poor in spirit before God and bring nothing uh, in, in terms of merit, if we are mourning over our sin, if we are responding in meekness and gentleness, if we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, man, that puts us in a, in a good frame of mind to be merciful. And that mercy is initiated by God's mercy in us. And finally, that mercy is rooted in humility. Right? You start with poor in spirit and mourning over your sin, man, you're going to be in a, in a place of humility where mercy is going to come more naturally. The, the merciless Pharisees, right, if, if, whenever you see a lack of mercy, you can, you can be sure that there is some pride and there is some self-righteousness involved there. Those are the enemies of mercy. Man, if you struggle with mercy, that's probably a good place to start. Is there some place in my life where I am setting myself up above other people? Because mercy is rooted in humility. It originates with God. It's initiated in us by his mercy. And it's rooted in humility. So what does mercy look like? We're going to talk about two types of mercy this morning. The emphasis in this passage is on physical mercy, meaning someone's physical, temporal needs. We're also going to look at spiritual mercy, which is very closely connected. The best example of physical mercy, there's many in the New Testament that we could go to, but I think the best example is the one that Jesus used himself when describing physical mercy. It's in Luke chapter 10. You don't need to turn there, I'll read this. But there's an expert on the law, and he's coming, he's testing Jesus, and he's trying to make himself feel better. And uh, he, he knows what Jesus is going to say about the law, so he kind of preempts that and says, you know, the law says love God and love your neighbor. That's, that's kind of the extent of the law. 
And he's feeling pretty good about himself, and he says, uh, so who's my neighbor? And he, I, I'm sure he's ready to kind of give some examples of where he's been merciful to his neighbors. And Jesus tells this story that is so familiar, the Good Samaritan, right? This is Sunday school stuff here, but man, the, the simplicity of this, it gives just a perfect, very easy, actionable pattern for mercy that I think is, is instructive. Jesus replied to this man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember Samaritans are half-breeds, they're, they're enemies, they're, 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 they're lowlifes, they're outcasts. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, he bound up his wounds and poured oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And, and the man responded, he got the point. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, and he would say to us, go and do likewise. It's a simple pattern that we see with the Samaritan. Physical mercy looks like this. First, it sees the need. That, that, that's, that's really simple, right? You can't meet a need if you don't see the need. But I mean, it's a fair question, though, for, for, for us. Do, do I put myself in a position to see the needs of others? Is, does my, do I put my family in a position to see the needs of others that we can respond to? Does our church put ourselves in a position to see the needs, right? John just gave us one this morning, right? 7,000 refugees. Man, you want, a, you want a description of the least of these? My goodness, can you imagine? With it, like five minutes notice, you've got to give up everything you own. You've got to leave your family. You've got to leave your country where your family has lived for maybe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Leave it all behind with nothing and, and come over here and be planted in a cornfield in Indiana. Man, that's the least of these. Do we put ourselves in a, need, in a place that we can see the needs? Or, man, or do we just have our cocoon where we're just insulated from everything else and we, we don't have opportunities for mercy because we don't even see the need? It sees the need. And then we see it responds internally with a heart of compassion. It goes beyond seeing. The Levite saw. The priest saw. The Samaritan responded, had this internal moving of compassion. And again, it didn't stop with feeling. It led to action. It responds externally, and I think this is a key point, with sacrificial effort. Look what it cost this guy. He didn't stop and give him a Band-Aid. Man, he, 
he put him on his animal. He took him all this money, time, effort, even came back to check on him later. Mercy is going to cost you. Mercy is expensive. Mercy requires sacrifice. I mean, ask Jesus how costly mercy is. But that's what mercy looks like. It sees the need, it responds with compassion, and then acts with sacrifice. What about spiritual mercy? What does that look like? Spiritual mercy is meeting someone's spiritual needs. Of course, we know that's the the ultimate need, not the temporal, but the eternal. What does spiritual mercy look like? You know, it looks exactly the same. It sees the need. I mean, if, if you're looking, there's no shortage of spiritual needs surrounding you every single day. It sees the need. It's moved with compassion. Right? This, this is what the heart of mercy does as we model our merciful God and our merciful Savior. We will be moved by the spiritual needs of others, and then we will respond with a sacrificial effort to meet those spiritual needs. Here's some examples of how we can show spiritual mercy. The first one, which I hope comes to mind immediately, the greatest act of spiritual mercy that we can show to another person is to share the gospel, right? That that is the greatest act of mercy of all, that I see someone's need I recognize that need because I I saw it in myself. And I don't look down on that person because I I was right where they are. The only difference between me and anybody else is the mercy and grace of God. And, And I respond, I have a heart for that person. I have a heart for the lost. I respond with compassion and then I take a risk. Sharing the gospel costs you something. If you share the gospel, you know that, right? You're opening yourself up for ridicule. You're opening yourself up for rejection. You're opening yourself up for even persecution. You're going to get labeled pretty quickly in your neighborhood, in your workplace. It may cost you in your workplace. But that's mercy. To share the gospel is mercy. To not share the gospel is merciless. Another example of spiritual mercy is prayer. Praying for another person is a great act of spiritual mercy, right? You see the need. Hopefully you're involved in people's lives enough to where you see the needs. You have compassion on that person to the point that you commit to them that you're going to pray for them. Prayer is a sacrifice. If you do it right, it only costs you time. But the Bible describes prayer as, as bearing each other's burdens. Man, I take that burden and I put it on my own shoulders. And I carry that to the throne of grace and say, Oh God, would you help this one? 
Prayer is an act of mercy. The third act of mercy that we can't ignore here, and you hear some echoes from meekness a couple weeks ago from uh, Toby, because there, there is a connection here. But mercy is so cl- closely tied to forgiveness. We, we, we can't miss that one. Forgiveness of another person is a great act of mercy. And man, Jesus had some pretty strong words about forgiveness, right? (laughs) If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, my Father will not forgive you. Why? Because you're showing that you don't belong to the forgiving Father. Man, I know forgiveness is tough. And I know what you're thinking. They don't deserve forgiveness. Exactly. If they deserved it, it's not mercy. Man, we are so proud and self-righteous when it comes to forgiveness, right? I mean, it's like, you know, here we are, right? The gap between my sin and God's holiness is infinite, right? I'm going to take a, take a guess here and say, I'm guessing that's a wider gap than, than the, the gap between this person's sin and my holiness. Man, unforgiveness is not an option for the Christian. It's just not. If unforgiveness is a pattern in your life, you can't get around the words of Jesus, right? The Apostle Paul would say, Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Don't you know that Christ lives in you lest you fail the test? I I didn't say that. Those are the words of Jesus about forgiveness. So this is what mercy looks like. Fair question. Is Is this what our lives look like? Is your life characterized by mercy? Physical mercy to the helpless, spiritual mercy to the needy. So what, is, what are the results of being merciful? Well, let's look at the receiver, and let's look at the giver. For the receiver of mercy, right, their, their needs are met, hopefully, which is good. But beyond that, temporal mercy even points to a merciful God. We are imaging our merciful God. We are evidencing our merciful God. Every act of mercy is pointing to something greater, right? Every act of mercy plants a seed that we hope will bear fruit to eternal mercy in that person's life. But what about the giver? What does the giver get from showing mercy? Now, if we wanted to paint a a real-world picture of this, 
And, and maybe a, a, a bit of a cynical picture of this, we might, we might say it this way. You know, blessed are the merciful, but man, it's going to be expensive. It's going to cost time, it's going to cost emotion, it's going to cost money. Blessed are the merciful, but man, you, you might not be appreciated for that mercy. You probably certainly won't be reciprocated for it. Blessed are the merciful, but, but you're going to be taken advantage of. Your motives might be judged by others. Blessed are the merciful, but it may backfire badly. No good deed goes unpunished. If, if, you're, if you're counting on, on temporal blessings coming out of showing mercy, yeah, Jesus doesn't talk about here for that here for a reason, right? Jesus said there's two things that's going to happen to those who are, are merciful. One, they're going to be blessed. Again, same word, blessed. And remember what that blessing is. That blessing is a joy and a contentment and a satisfaction that is completely disconnected from circumstances and temporal things. So you, can, you may show mercy and it may not go well, but, but that's okay because your, your goal, your focus isn't on the temporal, uh, it's on the eternal. Not only will they, they be blessed, it says they will receive mercy. This is the promise of mercy to all who are God's children, to all who have been born again. Not just temporal mercy, but eternal mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. One thing before we finish here that may have been rattling around in your mind on these, uh, as we've been talking about being merciful, what about justice? All right, some of you just kind of sat up in your chair. All right, now this is more my speed. Let's talk about justice. How do we reconcile mercy and justice? When do you show mercy and when do you pursue justice. Anybody got a magic formula to figure that out? Well, the Bible teaches us that we are to, to be about both. Micah 6, 8, uh, I love this. We are to act justly and love mercy. I love the distinction there. Act justly, but love mercy. You're only going to do that if you walk humbly. We're, we're certainly called to do both. I remember I struggled with this when my boys were, were younger. When do you show mercy to, to boy, little boys? <laughs> I mean, I could do that a hundred times a day. When do you pursue justice? Well, the, the scripture doesn't give us a list of the top 100 scenarios you're going to face in your life and uh, when to do one or the other, but I think there are some things that help us here, from, uh, specifically from Jesus' example himself. Man, Jesus dealt with all kinds of people. 
So paying attention to how Jesus handled mercy and justice, I think will, will serve us well. And I've, I've found much, um, much help from this, this pattern that Jesus has. When Jesus is dealing with, with, the, um, with the least of these, with those who are sinful, the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, the beggars, the lepers, the sinners. He shows them mercy, much to the chagrin of the merciless Pharisees. His pattern seems to be mercy to the humble, but law and justice for the proud and the self-righteous. Man, that's Jesus' pattern over and over and over. Justice for the proud and the self-righteous, mercy to the humble. I think that's a useful pattern for us. I, I mean, we need to pray for wisdom and discernment and how to handle that, but I find that to be a useful pattern. I, I think we also remember to start with the first beatitude and not the fifth. Poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meekness and gentleness, hungry and thirsting for righteousness. Man, you put those four together, you, you got a pretty good foundation to think about, should I be acting in mercy or in justice? And I think the other kind of the barometer there is, am I acting on, in their best interest or my best interest? Sometimes I pursue, pursue justice because it makes me feel better. Other times I, ignore, other times I pursue mercy because, because I don't want to deal with that confrontation. Sometimes mercy is just cowardice. So we need to pray for, for wisdom and how to handle. We're to pursue both, but we're to love mercy. You know, you know the, the, the great thing about this dilemma of justice and mercy yeah, from a human perspective, you know, God doesn't have that dilemma when it comes to us. God doesn't have to compromise his justice in order to show us mercy. That beautiful picture in the Old Testament of the tabernacle and, and the, the centerpiece of that, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwells, and the centerpiece of that was the Ark of the Covenant, and the centerpiece of that, the mercy seat, where the blood of the sacrifice would be placed. So that when God looked down, he didn't see the sins of the people, he saw the blood of the perfect sacrifice, which satisfied his justice temporarily so he could show mercy to his people. And the Bible says that Jesus, as our perfect sacrifice, offered himself, went to the tabernacle in heaven, offered his own blood, the greatest act of mercy. So that when God looks, if you belong to Jesus, if, if when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus, which satisfies his justice so he can show you mercy. Man, if, if you're here this morning, man, you might be thinking, I've, I've heard this a thousand times, but I mean, talk to any one of the elders. Just about every week we have a conversation with someone who sits in churches like this one week after week, year after year, sometimes decade after decade, and has never come to the point that they understand that fundamental truth that my goodness is not going to save me. If I stand before God one day with all my good works, he's going to see my sin. 
that separates me from his perfect standard. And he cannot show you mercy. Because to show you mercy without satisfying his justice, he would cease to be a holy God. You gotta give up on yourself. Being a good person doesn't save you. Your kids may be good kids, that doesn't save them. Only Jesus can meet that perfect standard. Please trust in him today. Turn from yourself and turn to Jesus and his perfect sacrifice will save you. Let me close with this thought. I don't think any of us would argue with the need for mercy. I, I doubt anybody's chafing at this saying, nah, no, I, I don't need, I need to show less mercy, not more. Uh, I, I doubt that any of you would say that. Uh, we, we could probably all agree that mercy is important. And I would agree as well, but I came to the realization this week very clearly that I do not take this as seriously as Jesus does. And I suspect you may not either. I don't give this as much weight as Jesus gives it. And I came to that clear realization as I read once again Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is painting a picture of what's coming for each and every one of us. He's painting the picture of that day, judgment day, when he, as the righteous judge, will sit in judgment over you and over me. And he will take you and put you on the right or he will put you on the left. You know what's coming, right? He's gonna say come, he's gonna say depart. He's gonna say you're mine I never knew you. And what evidence is this judge using to declare this ver verdict? What evidence is he using? The evidence that he is using is mercy. He mirrors what he says to the right and to the left. Let me just read to you what he says to those on the left. He will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. This is the evidence. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? Surely they wouldn't have left him that way and did not minister to you. And he will answer them and say, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these 
you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Does anybody else feel the weight of that? I, I was sitting in my chair. I, I, you, ever, you ever read something and you just kind of even physically feel the weight of that statement? There's, there's no way we take mercy as seriously as Jesus does. Uh, if, if we did, I suspect if this was a reality in the forefront of our minds, we would wake up every morning with the thought, how can I show mercy today? Who can I show mercy to today? Where can I put myself where I see the needs of others that I can help? Man, this, this Matthew 25 just echoes this beatitude, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And those who have received God's mercy will be merciful to others. Let's pray. Oh God, where would we be without your mercy? Forgive us for our pride, for our self-righteousness, for our selfishness in not showing mercy to others. God, may we image you this week as we are merciful to others. Remind us often of your mercy to us so that mercy would flow out of us to others. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.